All right, we've been doing this series here. Pastor Ross talked about it um, last week, this series that we're calling Sidekicks, the un Unsung Heroes of the Bible. And I find this just a, an interesting series because I think whether you're reading a book or you're watching a movie, I think all of us are drawn to the main character, to the hero of the story. We're, we're drawn to Neo and the Matrix. Any Matrix lovers out there? Uh, one of my favorite movies of all time. We're drawn to Tony Stark's or Thor from the Avengers. Any Avengers fans out there? Anybody? Or how about Luke Skywalker and uh, Star Wars? Any Star Wars fans? Yeah. How many already have your tickets purchased? Uh, yeah, there, now we know. There they are. <clears throat> well, whether we were watching a movie or reading a book, I think we do the same thing when it comes to our Bible. I think most of us, we're drawn to the main characters in our Bible, to the, to the heroes of faith, whether that is Abraham and Joseph or Moses and Joshua or whether it's Elijah and David or Peter and Paul. I think all of us kind of have this affinity. We're drawn to these heroes of faith. And I think one of the reasons for it, I think it's pretty normal, it's pretty natural because I think there's something inside of every one of us that wants to be a hero. It's just inside of us, this desire for our lives to account for something significant. And, and I think therein becomes the problem, because I think for a lot of us, we get disillusioned with this, because when we start looking at our lives and analyzing our lives, there's very little heroic actions in our daily lives. As a matter of fact, I think most of us, we analyze our life. Our lives tend to be pretty normal and uneventful. So I think we get disillusioned with all of that. But one of the incredible things that I love about how God works is that God loves to, to be able to pick and move through those people who tend to be in the background, that he loves to, to really go beyond what we think would be normal or the ones that he would choose. And he would cho he tends, to, tends to work with those who are, are in the background. And I think it's really important for us to understand that this is the heart of God, that God loves to work with those who are uh, seemingly insignificant and do the extraordinary. That that is really the nature of God. He loves to take us who think we're just seemingly insignificant, and he does the extraordinary. And the reason why is that he wants to show to the world that it's not by might, it's not by power, it's not by witches or wealth, it's not by um, talent or beauty, but it's by his spirit that these extraordinary things happen. And so that's why I think why he loves is to take us normal folks. So, so if you feel like you're normal or, or just less than normal, I have some great news for you here this morning. And that is, God wants to do the extraordinary in you and through you. He wants to do the extraordinary through you. And I think when we look at these different sidekicks, I think these are one of the, some of the things that we were able to see because these men and women of faith, the uh, heroes of faith, it's easy to kind of see God in, and, and, and then discount the fact that, well, I'm not that. I don't have this talent. I don't have this ability. I'm not that good of a leader, that good of a speaker. So how can God use me? But when we start looking at these sidekicks, these aren't the heroes of faith, and the reality is you may not even recognize some of their names, but these men and women chose to believe God right where they were, to take God at their word, and to bring God into normal everyday life, and as a result, the extraordinary happened in their lives as well. And so this morning, we're going to look at one of those normal sidekicks, and his name is Beniah. Look at this in 2 Samuel chapter 23, starting in verse 20. It says, Benaiah was the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man from Kabzeel, who had done many deeds. He had killed two lion-like heroes of Moab. He had also gone down and killed a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. And he killed an Egyptian, a spectacular man. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand, so he went down to him with a staff, wrested the spear out of the Egyptian's hand, and killed him with his own spear. 
These things Benaiah the son of Jehoiada did and won a name among three mighty men. He was more honored than the thirty, but he did not attain to the first three. And David appointed him over his guard. And so here in this chapter, we start seeing and we're introduced to this guy that I think probably for a lot of us we're not even familiar with. We're not, we're not familiar with his name. His name is Benaiah. And when it talks about in this passage, David. And that's the one that we kind of realize that we know because David tends to be one of those heroes of faith. But Benaiah, he's just normal. He tends to be, in, it looks like he's insignificant. It doesn't look like he's going to really account too much or do much even for the Lord here. But look at this in, in verse 21. It says, And he killed an Egyptian, a spectacular man. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand, so he went down to him with a staff, wrested the spear out of the Egyptian hand, and killed him with his own spear. And so very quickly, we see that Benaiah, he's a fighter. He's a warrior. And if that was the only thing that we really knew about him, we, we see that he's brave and courageous, but if that's all that we really knew about him, then we may not actually get to know him in Scripture. But, uh, but the reason why we're able to study him and know him a little more is because of what he did in verse 20. Look at this again. He had also gone down and killed a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. Now, I think even though it's raining outside and it's not snowing outside... I think in the comfort of this room, it's, it's, it's easy for us to miss the monumental acts of courage that Benaiah showed here in this situation. Because think about this. I mean, how many people do you know or have you heard of that actually chases lions? Right? I mean, sure, Barnum and Bailey, they, they are, they're lion tamers, but they're not lion chasers. And, and Benaiah wasn't on some sort of safari in Africa, high up on one of those land rovers with his rifle. And... Um, hunting big game. That's not what he was doing here. All he had was his hands and maybe a spear or a sword, and that's all, that's all he had. And the Bible doesn't describe for us what he was doing or where he is going or what he was thinking when he encountered this lion, but it does reveal to us his gut reaction. And when you think about it, it's pretty gutsy, his reaction. It's probably one of the most improbable reactions that we see in all of Scripture, and that is he chases a lion into a pit on a snowy day, and he kills the lion. It's one of the most improbable victories that we see throughout Scripture. And I don't know about you, but if I were to ever see a man-eating lion, a 500-pound man-eating lion, in my normal everyday life, I think there would be only one overarching response to that sight, and that is run. You know what I'm saying? You run away. I think most of us, that's, our, that's just our instinct. You see fear, you see danger, and you're just going to turn and you run away. But not Benaiah. And so I want you to try to put yourself in Benaiah's shoes here this morning and think about what he was going through. We don't necessarily know exactly what he was doing or what he was thinking, but let me try to give you a picture of what was going on. Because here was Benaiah out in the country, and it was snowing. Now, I know that may be a little stretch for your imagination because it doesn't snow here in Texas, right? It, that's what I've heard. It just doesn't snow here. So you may have used your little imagination just a little bit. By the way, I have, um, we have some friends here from Wisconsin. They're up here in the front row. This is Ryan and Kristen, their son um, Jacob, their daughter's back, Olivia. They're part of our, our campuses in there. They're actually our Milton campus pastors. Why don't you stand up? Would you kind of say hi to everybody, would you please? Come on, Kristen. They're here to do a wedding, actually. That You can tell they're not from here because they don't they're not dressed like the rest of us they're dressed up but he, they're going to do a wedding here this afternoon up in georgetown Kristen's from texas so six years ago they're from new Braunfels, san antonio area and so six years ago we brought them up to wisconsin they came and interviewed in february 
Now, February in Wisconsin goes to about 40 below zero. And so we figure if they could make it in 40 below weather in February, then they can make it in Wisconsin. And they've been there for the last six years. So here we are. Benai's out in the country. It's snowing. It's not one of those blizzard snows that blows sideways and you can't see any sort of thing where it's just, it's, it's, not, it's, it's not visible what's going on. It's one of those really nice picturesque snows where the snowflakes are like a silver dollar as they fall down from the sky. You feel like you can see every single snowflake that lands and it just softens the whole earth. It creates this tranquility around and uh, it's white everywhere and it's just, it's just peaceful. But in this situation where Benaiah was in the countryside, all of a sudden his spidey senses start tingling, you know? When you know something's not quite right, everything starts tingling inside of him, and the hair on the back of his neck starts standing up. He starts getting the, the cold sweats, and his, his heart is pumping. It's, going, well, it's so beautiful. What's going on? And he begins to scan the horizon, and he catches out of the corner of his eye two little beady yellow eyes staring at him underneath the brush. And he realizes it's, it's a lion. And so his heart is pumping. And you would think, like I said before, our natural reaction is to turn away and run. But not benign. Something comes over him and he begins to chase towards this lion. He begins to run towards this lion. Now, if I was the lion, I'd be thinking, what in the world? <laughs> I'm the hunter. You're the prey. Stay right there and I'll come get you. But no, the lion startled that this man is chasing him. It startles him so much that he turns around and he starts running away. And so Benaiah gives chase. Now, in normal situations, Benaiah would never have caught up to the lion because, you know, a lion travels 35 miles an hour and they can drink, leap 30 feet into the air. But except for this snowy day, he miscalculates and he slides into this pit and disappears. Benaiah's not too far away. He sees the slide marks and, and just ends into this, this crevice in, into the ground, this pit into the ground. And so Benaiah quietly and gently creeps up to the edge of that pit and looks down. A huge growl comes from the pit. You can see the lion trying to jump up to get him, but he can't get out of this pit. Now, I have to think in this moment that Benaiah has a moment of sanity. You know what I'm saying? Know how some things you just, you just buy adrenaline that you do, and then you're thinking, what did I just do? I have to think that that's what happened to Manai in that situation. That as he's looking down at this pit, he's thinking, what in the world did I just do? Why was I chasing a lion? And he checks himself to make sure he's okay. He's okay. And so you think this is going to be the end of the story here because he begins to turn away and walk away from the pit. But if you ever watched a movie, you know something's going to happen because why? The music changes, doesn't it? And if, we're, if this is a movie, all of a sudden the beat starts happening and starts getting stronger and stronger. It gets a little bit more eerie and more eerie as he's walking away and then Benias stops in his tracks. Now we're all thinking if we're watching this movie that the lion's gotten out of the pit and the lion's going to come and attack and jump on Benias. So we're saying, turn around, look, turn around, look. But no, the, the camera backs up. Benaiah turns around and he stares at the pit. Now we have two camera angles. One that looks at the pit, one that looks at Benaiah. One that looks at the pit, one that looks at Benaiah. And then all of a sudden, he starts running towards the pit. But as movies do, it's in slow motion, right? <laughs> so he's running in slow motion. He takes a leap and, and jumps into this pit. Now, this is a PG-13 movie, so we don't know what happens in the pit. We don't get to see it. But hear the cries and the yells and the growl of the lion, and then silence. The music stops. The camera angle backs up. And we just see the pit in the distance. And then slowly, this image starts coming out of the pit. 
We're all thinking it's the lion. He's won. He's, beat, he's killed Benaiah. But oh no, it's Benaiah himself. He's crawling himself out of the pit. And he's just accomplished the greatest victory, one of the greatest victory, one of the most improbable victories in all of Scripture. Now, as we get started here this morning, I want to tell you one of my kind of core convictions. And that is this. God is in the business of strategically positioning us in the right place at the right time. God is in the business of strategically placing us at the right place at the right time. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Now I want you to notice what it says. Notice it doesn't say, and we know that in some things God works. It doesn't say, we know that in 10% of things that we experience, God works. What does it say? We know that in all things. Come on, turn to your neighbor and tell your neighbor all things. You need to hear that. God is in the midst of all things. If you love God, if you're following after him, then his promise to you is that he will be in all things and he will actually repackage those things and make something good, uh, something that can be very destructive and, and very, very challenging in your life. See, God is awfully good at getting us to where he wants to go. But here's, here's the catch. The right place often feels like to us the wrong place. And the right time often feels to us like the wrong time. You know what I'm talking about here? Since we have such a limited perspective, things that happen to us in life, it doesn't feel like the right place. It doesn't feel like the right time. I mean, how can this difficult situation that I'm facing be good? How can be, this be the right place? How can this be the right time for what God is doing in my life? I want you to think about this with Benaiah. Because encountering a lion is typically a bad thing. Wouldn't you agree? Encountering a lion is typically a bad thing, and finding yourself in a pit on a snowy day generally will qualify as a terrible, horrible, worst day of your life type of experience. But I want you to think about what's going on here, because normally those circumstances would end in one thing, that is death. But fast forward a couple verses, and look what happens in the next scene, verse 23. And David appointed him over his guard. Now, I can't think of too many places I'd rather not be than in a pit with a lion on a snowy day. Can you? But here's what I do know. I've killed a lion in a pit on a snowy day. Sure looks mighty good on your resume if you're applying for the position of bodyguard with the king of Israel. I mean, I can just imagine David looking at all the resumes that come into his office that are applying for bodyguard, and, oh, here's Abner. I majored in security at the University of Jerusalem. That's a good start, but I'm not sure that I want him to be my personal bodyguard here. Joash, hmm, I did an internship with the palace guard. Well, that's, that's good. At least he's got some experience here. Let's see what else. Hezekiah, I worked for Brinks Armored Chariots. This guy's got some possibility, doesn't he? And how about this one, Benaiah? I killed a lion in a pit on a snowy day. Now that's the type of person that you want to be your personal bodyguard if you're the king of Israel. Now I think most people would have looked at that situation as a 500-pound problem for Benaiah, but not him. Benaiah didn't see it as a problem. It's because of this horrible, difficult, challenging, life-threatening situation that Benaiah lands a job interview with the king of Israel. Think about that. It's because of that. 
Can you see how God turned a very difficult, challenging, life-threatening situation actually into Benaiah's big break? This is the nature of God. That's how he works in our lives. Here's my point. God is in the resume building business. And he is in your resume building business. God uses our past experiences to prepare us for our future opportunities. And that is what he's doing in your life. He's using your past experiences to prepare you for future opportunities. But I think what's so hard for us to understand is that those God-given opportunities often come disguised as these man-eating lions. You know what I'm talking about? You get laid off from your job. It comes out of the blue. It shocks you. God, where are you in all of this? I thought you were my provider. I thought you were taking care. I thought I was supposed to be blessed in all this. God, where are you in this? This doesn't look like something good. There's nothing good about me losing my job here. This looks more like a a man-eating lion ready to devour my life. You have this conflict in your your relationship. Your relationship breaks up. It's on the pits. It's falling apart. And you're looking at it and God, where are you in all of this? Where's your faithfulness here? How can this be anything good in my life? This looks more like a 500-pound man-eating lion ready to devour my life than anything good. You get a diagnosis from the doctor, some sort of sickness or disease that's in your body. And you're thinking, God, where are you? You're the healer. How come there's not healing in my body happening now? How, how, how can anything good come from this? This looks more like a 500-pound man-eating lion ready to devour my life. Someone you love dies unexpectedly, and it crushes you to the core. And it shakes your world, and you're trying to figure out, God, how can any good ever come from this? This looks like a man-eating lion ready to devour my life. But here's the reality, folks. How we react when we encounter those lions will determine your future. How you react when you encounter those lions, those situations that you don't understand, those challenging, difficult, it makes no sense type of situations, how you react to that will determine then your future. Because we can either cower in fear, we can run away from those greatest challenges, You you can shake your fists at God and say, God, where are you in this? I thought you were, you were good. I thought you were going to take care of me. I thought you were my healer. I thought you were my provider. And you can turn your back on God and just dismiss him completely from there. Or you can turn towards and actually see and, and use your faith to hold on to God in the midst of what's confusing, what's challenging, what feels like it's going to take your life away. And then hold on to God, knowing that you know that you know, even though I can't see this, God's somewhere in the midst of this. That some way, somehow, that God will turn and repackage this situation and actually bring good in my life. When I look at the rearview mirror of my life, one of the things I recognize is that my greatest opportunities were my scariest lions. You know what I'm saying? Can you relate? My greatest opportunities were my scariest lions. When I graduated from college, I went and became an associate pastor of a, a German church outside of Nuremberg and left everything, left family, left friends, left everything, my school debt and possibility of marriage and all those types of things, left and pa- um, just packed up and moved into a foreign country, into a foreign language. And it was during the time where the Iron Curtain was coming down, crumbling down, and, and there were a lot of things that were going on, and God miraculously connected me with some people that I had worked with a couple of years earlier over in Eastern Europe. I began traveling back and forth from Germany to Poland and and uh, I was a 22, 23-year-old young man who knew absolutely nothing, but found myself in a revival that was happening in the Catholic Church in Poland. And God was stirring and moving there, and I found myself teaching and training bishops and archbishops and priests, situations that I didn't have a clue what was going on. There was so much innocence. I didn't know there was tension. 
between evangelicals and, and, uh, and, and Catholics and Protestants and Catholics. I didn't even understand. I didn't even comprehend that whole tension there. All I knew is I found myself in those positions, and we started planting churches. I was a part of planting three churches there in Poland. I'm thinking, I'm 22, I'm 23 years old. What do I know about planting churches? What do I know about ministering and teaching people who are twice and three times my age? God, surely there's somebody better, more equipped than I am. It was some of the scariest seasons of my life. I was, during that time, was able to go over to, to Russia. And again, this was a very tense time in history over there. And I had this opportunity to go over to Moscow. And everybody was telling me, don't go. It's just too tense. It's too volatile over there um, that if you start heading over there, they're going to take your passport and you may not get it back or you'll have to bribe them and, and, uh, and then you still may not get your passport back. And as, as scary as that was, I still felt like it was something I was supposed to do. And so I took a, a bus from Germany to Warsaw and, and met some friends, some Polish friends there. And we took a train from Warsaw into Moscow. Now, during this time, the, it was a weird sort of thing because there was so much um, things that they would do to incite fear in you. And so the train left in the middle of the night. And when we got across the border into Russia, the first thing that happened is the train drove into was kind of this really, really long barn. And so the whole train went inside this barn and, and we were in there for a couple hours when they swapped out the bottom of the train because the train track sizes were different in Eastern Europe than in Russia. So they had to replace the bottom. They just swapped the bottom out for the right size to go on into Russia. And so then we finished that whole thing and moved farther in into the, into the country into what's called no man's land, not a city, not any place, just right in the middle of nothing. But as we drove further, all of a sudden there's these cascading lights that we were driving into. And we, the train pulled up to a platform on either side of the train. And these big old poles with all these cascading lights illuminating you know, out of the darkness and making it day. And on this platform, every 10 feet were Russian guards with their rifles and a watchdog. Every, every 10 feet. And as soon as the train stopped those guards immediately began to move and searching the outside and the inside of the train. And sure enough, they came to our cabin with me and these other couple of Polish people. And they, they dealt with the two um, Polish guys first and no problem, did with their passports. And they came to me and sure enough, they took my passport and left with my passport. About 30 minutes later, they come back in, had all this conversation and I couldn't speak any of this. So I was relying upon my two Polish friends and they were trying to converse and they were arguing and they, they were yelling and the the, the Russian guard left again and it came back a little bit later and again a big argument ensued and we had brought stuff um, to bribe um, in case needed and we needed. <laughs> they were not going to give my passport back and so we gave them a whole bunch of stuff. Fruits and vegetables were some of the things we gave them, some other things, money. Um, and eventually, thankfully, they, they came, brought back my passport. I was no, ever so thankful to have my passport again. It was... It was so incredibly frightening being out there all alone, all by myself, and not knowing the language, not knowing what was going on and what could have happened. But here's what I've noticed throughout my life, that as you take these steps of faith in these, in these fearful and challenging situations, that now all of a sudden something happens. Because these greatest fears open up doors for your greatest opportunities. 
And I began to see God do that. And it became something that changed the trajectory of, me, my, of my life and how I began to minister and how I began to walk with my relationship with God. As most of you know, I was the lead pastor of a church in Wisconsin for the last 14 years. And when we took over the church, the church was about 120 people. And that part of the area, that part of the country is very hostile towards Christianity. And it was a really, it was a really difficult plowing, but there was a stirring and God was doing some amazing things. And the church began to grow and we began to add more services and we outgrew our, our building in our property and so we were looking at the possibility of being able to move and be able to go to another location um, but we weren't having much luck with it nothing was being able to open up and so we decided we're gonna go ahead and put our our building our property up for sale and so we worked with a realtor had the mar had our building property on the market for for a year and then when the contract ended uh, we took it off the market because during that year not a not a nibble nobody even came and looked or knocked at the door to see what the property was worth or how, how we could do it. And so it felt like an impasse. It felt like we weren't going to be able to do anything there. And so we still felt like God was stirring, that he wanted us to move forward. And so we made the decision that even though we didn't know what we were supposed to do, even though we still had this building, that we were going to stop meeting at this building and we were going to start meeting in the high school auditorium. Now, it's hard for me to express how difficult a situation that is because where we live, that was a, so schools are not used to that. And so there, it was a very hostile relationship that we had with the school in order to be able to even meet and use the facility there. But we, as soon as we did that, two weeks into that, we had two people put offers on our building and our property. Just came out of the blue. I have no idea who they were or why were they. But the whole year while we had a realtor, nobody looked. But as soon as it came off the market and we took a step of faith into the high school auditorium, we had two offers on our building. A month after, we'd sold our building, sold our property. Now we were homeless <laughs> in a high school auditorium that was hostile. And I kept thinking, if anything happens, if we do anything stupid, this church is going to disappear just like this. And it was some of the most frightening times, you know, trying to pass through this church through those very difficult and challenging, challenging situations. My point is here in telling you some of these stories is that your greatest opportunities are going to come at the greatest risk. And we tend to cower and run, and run behind. But this is what I've noticed. It's those times that you really come alive. Because this is what you were created for. You weren't just created just to go through the motions. But you were created to engage faith and to engage God in what you're going through. And what I notice is that those are the times that the extraordinary things happen. Those are the times that the miracles then happen in your life. And as a result, it will change the trajectory then of your life. When you look at Benaiah. He went on to have a brilliant military career. In fact, not only did he become the king of Israel's bodyguard, he ended up becoming the commander-in-chief of Israel's entire army. But I want you to think about why. Because it all started with a moment in time where, for most of us, we would have thought, wrong place, wrong time. Your life's on the hook. But it was because, it was because Benaiah made the choice and it was a choice. He was confronted with a choice. Run away or give chase. And it was because he chose to give chase that it opened the door for his future. You know, I don't necessarily know all the circumstances of your life, but I'm guessing you've probably encountered some lions in your lifetime. I'm guessing you probably have found yourself in the pit in different times of your life, and you've probably weathered a few different storms in your life. And today, you may be face-to-face -face with that 500-pound lion on a, in a pit on a snowy day. 
You may be encountering a situation in your life where it's that difficult. Maybe for some of you, it's a God-sized dream that's just stirring inside of your heart, but it scares the living daylights out of you. You don't know how to move forward. Maybe it's for you, you find yourself, because you've made some bad decisions or because you've given way to some bad habits, you find yourself at that bottom of the pit and you're wondering if you're ever going to come out of it. Maybe for some of you, it's, you have this cloud of self-doubt and you have all these voices that are just consuming your thinking, making you feel worthless, making you feel like you can't do it, putting fear inside of you and causing all the self-doubt to just cloud your future. Maybe for you, it's financial uncertainty or job uncertainty or relational uncertainty. Whatever it is, can I make a suggestion for you here today? My suggestion is this. This is your opportunity. I know it doesn't feel like it, but this is your opportunity. This is your opportunity to take a step of faith. This is an opportunity to face your fears and your doubts and your worries. This is an opportunity for you to give chase instead of run away. This is an opportunity for you to trust God with all your heart and not lean on your own understanding but to acknowledge God, to bring God in on what's going on so that he can direct your steps. Here's the thing, though. I wish I could tell you that every lion chase will end up with a lion skin on your wall. I wish I could tell you that. But the reality is that doesn't always happen. But the thing that will set you apart as a lion changer is not the outcome. The thing that will set you apart as a lion chaser is that you have the courage to chase a God-sized dream. Where you have the courage to believe, God, you're working here even though I don't see it. You're in the midst of this. Where you have the courage to face your fears and not let fear and doubt just cloud you and cripple you. Where you have the courage to move forward when everything inside of you wants to stand still and fall backwards. And the reason why you can do this is what, why the Apostle Paul Described in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, when he said, I know and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. I can tell you with absolute certainty that if you love God, if you're bringing God in the midst of what's going through your life, then this is a promise to you. This is a promise to you that he is there in the midst and he will repackage what's going on in your life and actually bring good out of it, which means this. Everything that God does is good. And so if you don't see good yet in your life and good yet in your situation, God's not finished. You need to hear that. If you're not seeing good yet, then hold on. God's not finished because God always brings good. It's who he is. When you think about Jesus, Jesus found himself face to face with a lion in the Garden of Gethsemane. Look at this in Matthew chapter 26, verse 36. It says, And Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over them. And he took with him Peter and his two sons Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. And then he said to them, My soul ex is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Can you see him? He's, he's, he's confronted with this lion. And yeah, there's a whole bunch of them that he wants to run away. He doesn't want to have to face this lion. He's saying, God, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. But look at him confronting. Look at him chasing here. 
Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time he went away and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. Jesus was faced with this 500-pound lion, and so what was he going to do? Was he going to run away, or was he going to face it and give chase? Thankfully. Jesus didn't run away. The Apostle Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, verse 7 and 8, and being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Jesus faced that lion and he gave chase, which means this, folks, you can too. You can too. You're not doing this by yourself. He is with you. Remember, Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have difficulty. You're going to have trials. There's going to be, there's going to be difficult that you're, that you're facing. This is not heaven, folks. This is not heaven. But his promise is that in the midst of difficulty, he has overcome. He's overcome. This morning, we're going to take communion here together. And as we take communion together, I want to ask you to do something. Instead of just going through the motions, I want you to engage your faith in this moment. Because you may be confronted with these lines that you're facing, and you need to take a step of faith and say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you. I can't see it. I don't know what's going on, but I'm going to trust you here in this situation. If you would, I want to ask you to close your eyes here, if you would, please. And just begin to let the Spirit of God, just ask Him to speak to you and begin to stir inside of you here. In Psalms 138, verse 7 and 8, it says, Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the anger of my foes, and with your right hand you save me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your love, O Lord, endures forever. You do not abandon the works of your hands. The reason why you can face the lions in your life today It's because of what Jesus has already done. You are not alone. His promise is that he is with you, that he is in the midst of what it is that you are going through. And so God is working right there. And so put your hope, put your trust in Jesus here today. Father, I thank you, God, that you don't leave us here all alone, that we're not just going through life by ourselves. We're not just victims of what life throws us. But God, you're right there. Your promise is that you'll be right there in the midst and you'll repackage and turn those things around for our good. You'll create good out of really difficult situations. And so, Father, we recognize that in the midst of those difficulties, in the midst of we're facing those 500-pound lion problems, that you are there. And so today, God, we make a decision to stop running. We make a decision to stop doubting and, and stop being fearful and anxious. God, we make a decision to trust you to be like Benaiah and to run to that lion in our lives and to trust that you'll take care of all the things that concern us, all the things that are going difficult in our life, that we put them in your hands here today. We put our hope, we put our faith, and we put our trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen.